0: Three, four days ago, maybe a week ago now, I saw this headline that said, Hallmark greeting cards is ending their e-greeting cards. And I thought, this makes no sense. Everyone's going the opposite way. Everyone's going e-commerce. How can the biggest greeting card company end their e-cards? So I dug down, dug down, dug down. Okay, here's the deal. There's two big demographics for e-cards. One, senior citizens. They hate using computers to send cards. Here's their other big demographic. Gen Z. Young people love sending cards, but they want handcrafted cards. Now, that's a shift. There's a seam. If I'm an artist, I'm thinking, I'm going to create a TikTok channel about creating artisanal greeting cards, right? And you go, 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 go that's what it's about it's a function of space speed and time it's about acting right now following your curiosity you know pursuing your idea and testing the seam and just going for it as big as you can
1: Well, thank you for joining me today on Financially Speaking. My name is Mitch Slater. I'm a Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor with UBS Wealth Management in Westfield, New Jersey. Where along with my partners, Ann and Crystal, we do our best to bring you advice beyond investing and address our clients' most challenging financial needs. It's my sincere hope that each and every episode of this podcast will educate you on personal finance and real-life business issues of the day. So let's jump right
2: in. So is career and business success a matter of luck, or is there something that drives unstoppable momentum? Well, hey, everyone, it's Mitch Slater. And coming up in today's special episode, Mark Schaefer, globally recognized keynote speaker, educator, business and consultant and author of nine books, including the Tao of Twitter, and considered one of the top marketing bloggers in the world, joins Financially Speaking. His latest book, Cumulative Advantage, How to Build Momentum for Your Ideas, Business and Life Against All Odds, explores the art and science with great storytelling. I'm joined this week by another marketing expert who, after selling a successful brownie brand business and being a senior executive for other brands like Slim Jim's, and then made quite a splash in the wine industry for many years, now has his own marketing business and also is a well-respected blogger and this week will be my guest co-host. Oh, did I tell you he's like a brother to me? Literally? Jeff Slater joins me, and I hope you enjoy what I felt was a lively and purposeful chat with Mark Schaefer. Listen closely, take notes on this one. I know I did.
1: Well, first of all, welcome, Mark, to Financially Speaking, and I'm really so grateful to have you on today. And as an added bonus, I've asked a very accomplished marketing consultant that is really like a brother to me. All right. He's actually my brother, Jeff, who in full disclosure, Mark has worked with and chatted with before. But one thing I learned from my time working with Larry King, and actually one of the last podcasts I did with Larry before we lost him is he said, Mitch, this is your show. You decide what to do. So I wanted Jeff Slater on today. So Larry, I'm doing what you told me. So, welcome, Jeff Slater, my brother.
3: Right. Yeah. Well, happy to be here. Well, great. Be part of this conversation. Well,
1: it's a pleasure. So, Mark, first of all, during these days of pandemic, I always start off the show with just kind of a check in to see how you and the family, everybody's doing.
0: Well, doing great. I'm doing much, much better than I was one year ago. One year ago, I was probably. Shaking on a on a couch somewhere with COVID, I had got the disease pretty early on, and today I had my second vaccination. So, oh, I'm I'm, awesome. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm good to go. I'm good to go.
1: Great, great. Well, I'm very glad to hear that. So, I'm going to let Jeff go in the leadoff position today and let him start things off.
3: You know, Mark, I always like to get a sense of. How do you think about who you are and what you do? Because you do so many different things. But in your mind, when you chat with people informally, when they ask, like, the Mitch Joel question, who are you and what do you do?
0: Who are you and what do you do? Well, the simplest answer I use is I'm a teacher. I think in my heart, everything I do, I just have a gift for taking complicated things and explaining it, distilling it down to its essence and helping people understand. And so whether I blog or do a podcast or a speech or a book, that's really the essence of what I do is I mostly focus on marketing, but I did sort of do a foray into personal branding and my new book, Cumulative Advantage, I go even a little further afield and its hard. it can be a marketing book, but it. I was interviewed by someone and they said, you know, I started reading this. It was a great marketing book. And I realized you did something sneaky. You're really teaching us how to be a better human being. <laughs> Imagine that.
1: Yeah, we all, we <laughs> all that. yeah, we could all use that. We could all use that.
3: I mean, you've, you've written nine books. I think yeah. I've read all of them. Mm-hmm. What's the thread that runs through all of these books thematically that you're following because you know when you look back at it sometimes it makes a bit more sense that you wouldn't see as you're writing each of the books but is there a a theme or several themes that you would say or just always present that you're chasing on your teaching journey
0: yeah i think at least the, for the last decade there's definitely been a trajectory to my thinking and my work there's been an evolution that you can see come to life through the books. And my first real big book was the first book on influence marketing. And that was in 2012, before anybody was even using that word. But I, I saw how the power was shifting in our world from big agencies and media companies to people. There was this amazing opportunity that now anybody that had a keyboard and a Wi-Fi connection could have a voice. And and influence was being democratized, and this was going to change business, and specifically marketing forever. And it turned out, you know, I was right, and this became a huge, huge deal. And in fact, it became such a big deal that there was around 2009, more content was being created by people than media companies. We were entering the era of infinite media. You didn't need to have a federal license for a broadcast signal anymore. Anybody could create content, and the amount of content has gone up, 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 and I struggled with, how do we connect in this noisy world? How can we be seen? And that's really the theme for the last 10 years. How do we become the signal against this wall of noise? And then I wrote known, which is applicable to individuals. What is this, how do we stand out? How do we become known? in this world of overwhelming information density. And then marketing rebellion, what how do companies respond when the customers, the people, they're in charge now. They're in charge of their own customer journeys. They've got the accumulated knowledge of the human race in the palm of their hands. They don't really need us like they used to. And now my latest book, Here We Are in 2021. What dawned on me, Jeff and Mitch, is that Even if we're great, even if we're doing our greatest work, it's likely that we're still being buried. There's just so much competition, and I've got lots of examples of this, and I struggled with, okay, what do you tell someone? How do you encourage them? What do you do next? And I came across this idea of momentum that if you're sort of leveling out and stuck in a certain mode... How do you recharge and build momentum to take you to the next level? And I actually found out that there's a lot of research on this in the field of sociology that really hasn't been applied to people and businesses before. And that became the genesis for the new book.
1: One of the things I I wanted to ask you about, first of all, I want to thank you personally for Known. That's what put me really over the edge to push even harder to get this podcast. I'm one of the first financial advisors. I am a first financial advisor at UBS to do a podcast. Took a long time to get it done, but after reading Known in 2017, that really made a big difference. Wow, me. that's
0: a great uh, story. Really, Thank really, you, really I, I'm very humble. It may have been that
3: profile of that young girl, Fanny Slater, that you wrote about. Right. You
0: know, I, really I did read that chapter very, sure it had
3: something very familiar. I don't know,
1: maybe I saw her on Rachel Ray. I, I can't remember. But one thing I thought was interesting about the new book is that you hired what's known as a sensitivity reader. Yeah. Can you describe that a little bit?
0: What's that all about? Well, I think at the very highest level, I'm pretty realistic about my world. I'm a middle aged white guy stuck in my house in the middle of a pandemic while the world is raging around me. And I kind of dive into some weird and Sensitive areas in this new book. I'm fine if I take an opinion and someone doesn't agree with it. I'm not fine if I use words and language that inadvertently offend somebody. That's just freaking lazy, right? And so I decided look, no one can be in tune with all the nuances of this world. And so I went the extra step, hired this woman. She's basically a civil rights activist. And a poet and a leader in the gay community, a wonderful writer, and she was brilliant. She read my whole book word for word and then, you know, made little suggestions here and there. You know, an example would be, gosh, Mark, this word, I don't know if you know this, has two meanings in certain cultures. Maybe you can use a different word here. So there was nothing really egregious that she found, but she just gave me the confidence That I was being as respectful as I could possibly be to my global audience.
1: That's wonderful. That's so rare and so wonderful.
3: You know, cumulative advantage as I was reading the book and the five themes that run throughout it, I had to go back and reread the seam section several times, not because it wasn't clear, but because I thought it was so powerful. Mm-hmm. And it was such an important idea that I think you lashed on to. Can you articulate a little bit about this notion of the scene and how that fits in with momentum and building career?
0: Yeah, I'm glad that meant so much to you. Sort of a fun fact is that chapter at one point had the potential to be the entire book. It was an idea that actually I was developing with a professor at the University of Chicago many years ago. I actually, he was my teacher and it was was the funniest thing. He was my teacher at the University of Chicago. And then years later, he called me for marketing advice, not knowing I was his student at the University (laughs) of Chicago, completely random thing. And then, you know, I was a big, big fan of him. Then we started looking at ways to collaborate. We started developing this idea of how strategy had changed. When I was a young man in business, I was a big fan of Michael Porter and he wrote 20 books and he was the godfather of business strategy back in the 90s. His creating strategic or uh, creating competitive advantage book was just amazing. And yet, a few years later, his consulting company went bankrupt because he didn't really anticipate. The speed of business. And so it occurs to me that strategy, when I was a young guy, was 250 pages in a five year plan. And today it's more about looking at the shifts in the world, looking at fractures in the status quo that are happening all the time, minute by minute, and looking at how do I apply what I do? How do I apply my strengths? to that shift? And how do I burst through this seam as fast as I can, as powerfully as I can, and see if I can either share my ideas or make money off of this? And let me give you a quick little example ripped right from the headlines. Three, four days ago, maybe a week ago now, I saw this headline that said, Hallmark greeting cards is ending their e-greeting cards. And I thought, this makes no sense. Everyone's going the opposite way. Everyone's going e-commerce. How can the biggest greeting card company end their e-cards? So I dug down, dug down, dug down. Okay, here's the deal. There's two big demographics for e-cards. One, senior citizens. They hate using computers to send cards. Here's their other big demographic. Gen Z. Young people love sending cards, but they want handcrafted cards. Now, that's a shift. There's a seam. If I'm an artist, I'm thinking, I'm going to create a TikTok channel about creating artisanal greeting cards, right? And you go, 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 go. That's what it's about. It's a function of space, speed, and time. It's about acting right now, following your curiosity, you know, pursuing your idea and testing the seam and just going for it as big as you can.
1: Well, that is so true. In fact, I happen to know that my brother, Jeff, helped our mother, who was nearly 94, pretty amazing with technology, to buy most of the cards for the year using, I don't know if it was Hallmark, Jeff, but one of the sites, right? It was.
3: No, actually, what her complaint was is when she goes into a greeting card store, like a pharmacy that sells cards, they don't have the selection. That mm. she wants. So when you yeah. go online, you can buy the all this, you know, it's unlimited. Yeah. Detail, and you buy whatever, you know, there's 18 cards for a great grandson turning two.
0: Yeah, 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 you know, yeah, 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 yeah. But that's an interesting observation about Hallmark. I think the thing that should give everybody hope and energy right now is that one of the things I show in the book, not for my own ideas, but through Research primarily from a fellow named Franz Johansson, a researcher and writer in Europe, he showed that almost every great success behind every successful person, it's likely you're going to find some random event and just matched up to this to you know a seam of opportunity. And we're now in this pandemic; it's the greatest fracture in the status quo in the history of the human race. Everything is changing: how we work, how we learn, how we connect how we eat, how we teach our children, how we work out. And embedded in all of this, in millions of ways, large and small, these little shifts, these unmet and underserved customer needs, that's business opportunity.
3: Hmm. Mm -hmm. The book addresses this idea of those who are born with a lot of luck yeah, and those who have to find their way in the world and build cumulative advantage, build opportunity step-by-step, day-by-day. Can you illustrate that concept a little further in personifying and bringing to life this idea of somebody who can or who has taken advantage of those small observations
0: of those seams mm-hmm. and built on that? Yeah, so cumulative advantage comes from sociological research that started in the 1960s. And the idea is if you have some small advantage in your life, kind of play your cards, right? You can build this unstoppable momentum and the gap between you and your competitors will never close. So sort of an extreme example I use in the book is the Winklevoss twins. And if you like the social network movie, these are the fellas that sued Mark Zuckerberg because they thought he stole part of his code that became Facebook. Now, these are guys, they grew up in the Hamptons. They went to private schools. They went to Harvard. They were on the rowing team. They were athletes. They were in the secret society, the oldest social club. Basically, they had a built in network of every powerful person in business, society, and government already built in and guaranteed for the rest of their lives. Now, they sue Zuckerberg. They end up getting. I think it was $65 million, they took most of it in stock, in three years it's worth half a billion dollars. And they just keep playing, the play. advantage leads to advantage, leads to advantage, leads to advantage. It almost seems inevitable that they're going to become billionaires. So what we see through lots of different examples is that we're all riding the crest of a wave that began a long time ago. And these advantages either build for us in big ways and small, In some people in our society, there's no wave at all. They're being pulled under by the undertow. And this initial advantage doesn't have to be money. An example I use in the book is Bill Gates. When he was a teenager, he had access to early computer prototypes. He was coding before anybody else. And he kept on going. And was there a scene? Absolutely. This was the dawn of the computer age. And he became Bill Gates. That's what cumulative advantage is about. But I think the hope that's built into this book is that you don't have to be a millionaire. You don't have to live in the Hamptons or have an Ivy league education that once you know the pattern, it's really about awareness of how the pattern works, whether you're rich or poor, trying to apply that to your life and your business.
1: I'm so glad you took it in that direction because as someone who follows you, I love the posts, and I'm a, I'm a LinkedIn junkie from day one, so I, I don't miss a thing. And you had a great post about the emphasis on celebrity over authority is blowing up influencer strategy. Yeah. And I, I got to admit, I'm I'm just fascinated, in some ways, to be fair, nauseated by the entire influencer world. I mean, I, I the kind of things that I've seen recently just kind of blow me away, where people are making more money on their TikTok than they are in their day jobs. And they're not really doing anything. I don't really understand it. But obviously, brands are all over it. So, if you could just talk a little more about influencer strategy, people like what they need to start defining what is an influencer and, 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 uh, and the content creators of the future. Just wanted to talk about it a little
0: bit. In the online world, the definition of an influencer is very straightforward it's someone who can move content, it can move an idea. It can move a brand, it can move a blog post, it can move a video. And when you have that type of audience and that trust, and you can move content that you know sends a ripple through the internet, that is what an influencer does. Now, the interesting trend that you're talking about is that in the beginning, this ability was based on authority. You kind of knew something, right? Maybe it was about finance and stocks. Maybe it was about fashion. Maybe it was about home decor or art. You know, in my case, it was marketing and the intersection of technology and humanity. And so businesses could reach out with these people. Oh, my gosh, we have a new product. We have a new idea. Hey, influencer, if you share this idea because you're known and people look up to you and your, your passion and your expertise, you could really move our ideas. That's how the whole that's the foundation of the industry. Now, what's happening is we have a whole generation that's coming up, and they're not really building their influence on authority, they're building it because they're entertainers, they dance, and I'm not negative about it and I'm not judgmental about it. I think it's amazing that you can be an artist, and it's almost like the minor leagues for Hollywood, right? Mm, True. That's what it is. Yeah,
1: it's a great analogy,
0: but it's kind of And this is another shift in the status quo, right? I mean, there's opportunities here. You can think about a lot of implications. So, we have an entire generation now who has this opportunity to focus on being entertainers. 75% of the teenagers in the UK said, I want to be an influencer when I grow up. Mm -hmm. 74.999% of them are going to be disappointed, but they're going to put a lot of effort into it in the meantime. So, what does it really mean? when this generation, instead of building authority and learning about something, they're, you know, working on their dance moves. It'd be an interesting evolution.
3: Oh, really, really is. What do you think, Mark, is going to be some of the implications post-COVID as people are no longer saying we're going to go back to work, we're going to go forward to work? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's going to be a shift in that. What do you see are some of those seams and opportunities that may appear or are starting to show themselves because of sort of the response to this once-in-a-century event that we've all experienced.
0: You know, I've been thinking about this a lot and studying this a lot, and I think at the very highest level, what's going to change almost everything? And what I mean by that is that we're entering an era of unintended consequences. If you think about going into the pandemic, We guessed wrong about almost everything. Nobody guessed there was going to be a building boom. And now we've got shortages of wood and stone. You can't even find somebody. We never guessed there would be shortages of clearasil. Why? (laughs) Because people are wearing masks and their faces are breaking up. We guessed wrong on everything. And we're going to guess wrong coming out of this thing too, because it's going to take Years, maybe a generation until we see the behavioral and psychological impacts of being locked in an apartment for a year, and you know how children are being socialized or not socialized, and how people are dating or not dating. So, on a very, very high level, it's an era of unintended consequences, where the number one skill set for a business or a marketer right now, I think, is humility to just be humble and say, we don't know what's going to happen. We are going to have to listen and learn and study and rethink everything. That's the mode we have to be in right now. One of the things that we're seeing is that during the pandemic, this was an interesting thing. So you said you helped your mother sort of get oriented with how to use e-commerce to get greeting cards. What happened during the pandemic is that children took over the e-commerce function in the family because they're so proficient and we got to order everything online. Now the children are saying, I'll do it, mom. I'll do it, grandma. So children have become the e-commerce decision makers now in a disproportional way, huge change. Who's the real customer now? Mm -hmm. We're going to find out. Is that going to snap back? I don't know. Probably not. Everything is changing in so many ways. I just think This idea of safety and security is going to be huge. We need to be in a touchless society, you know, specifically, let's say in banking. What does that mean for an ATM machine? What does that mean for for banks that are built on relationships and you know your neighbors and people are saying, you know what, I don't really want to go to the bank anymore. They're sort of being conditioned to stay home and just I'm hearing this from people that they're feeling weird about being around people again. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So how's that going to play out? How's that going to play out for our businesses? You know, we just have to be very, very humble and and patient and watch everything so closely. Watch for these fractures in the status quo as opportunities. So it's going to be fascinating time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting how what you were just saying, because it kind of ties into probably my one financial question of the week, even though the show's name financially speaking, which by the way, I credit to Jeff and my Ann Annette when I had a radio show in the nineties who came up with the name. But I think it's safe to say that many things have just been such changed. And I mean, as Jeff knows, I have a thing for rock and roll, for example, and especially Bruce Springsteen in that world. I didn't know but, that. Well, it's a shocker. It's a shocker. But you can join, You can watch Bourbon and Bruce every Sunday night on Facebook. I show a new bourbon and I play Springsteen. That's a separate thing. First time I promoted that on this show. But anyway, I wanted to ask about a trend that's happening on the financial side of the music world. Artists selling their publishing rights. Yeah. The guest on my show was Johnny Resnick, the lead singer of the Goo Goo Dolls, mm-hmm. who happens to live down the street. Mm-hmm. Just happens to. Great guy. But he talked about why he had to find a way, and the pandemic really showed him this, to monetize his work. And yeah. like Bob Dylan did, sold his publishing right for millions. Yeah but that being said, down the road from you in Nashville is Taylor Swift right And she took a very original way for a content creator to respond to these legal challenges, mm-hmm. who of course commented that on that a few days ago, highlighting her emotional intelligence. So I just wanted, before we we finish this, I really wanted to go a little deeper on that because I just find that so fascinating from so many different perspectives.
0: Well, you know, it's funny. The subtitle of the new book is How to Build Momentum for Ideas, Life, and Business Against All Odds. And I think people in the music business today, my son was in the music business. He had a fairly successful band, toured America, toured Europe, played all the big festivals, played Bonnaroo, was on David Letterman. And what you see is that the only way to make money today is to tour. We're seeing now the last dying breaths, I think, of the millionaire rock stars is that in history, musicians have never been rich. There's been a short period of time when musicians have been rich. And you know if something doesn't change, We're going to go back to those days where it's not going to be very profitable or practical to be a musician. So, the the things that the greatest stars like Taylor Swift are doing, I think they're sort of setting an example and they're sending a message to the entire industry that we've got to change the culture. We've got to change the economics in some way. When you get to a point where even a superstar like Taylor Swift, has to take dramatic action to make music off her own songs. It shows a real, a real problem, a real sickness in the industry. The internet is not the great equalizer. The internet is killing a lot of young musicians, a lot of promising musicians so i don 't know what the answer is, but there's an opportunity there for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you yeah, know, I'm going to let you ask one more question and then I have one thing to wrap with. I just want to make right, sure Mark
0: right.
3: has enough time. I was just going to say, you know, I've been in marketing myself for 40 plus years. And every time I read one of your books, Mark, there are these illustrations of an individual or personalizing an idea in a way that brings it to life. And in the latest book, In Cumulative Advantage, there are a number of those stories that are just rich and really just made me stop and think. And I just want to thank you for that because it really is something that, like you, I'm just eternally curious. And I just appreciate another curious mind looking at things in a new perspective. And so just a big shout out to you for the book. Yeah. And well, reading
0: it. You know, we talked about like the Winklevoss story, and it's maybe a two-page story in the book. It took me three days to write that story. <laughs> and after I wrote it, i like, I came out of my office and talked to my wife. I said, what am I doing? (laughs) (laughs) Nobody would ever believe it took me three days to write one story in the book. But I do put a lot of care. I do put a lot of craftsmanship in the book to be very, very careful to just pick the right people and the right stories to move my narrative along. And for every story that makes it into the book, there's probably four stories that don't. (laughs) So it takes a lot of work.
1: Listen, that's, that's a critical story. I mean, James Taylor said the secret of life is enjoying the passage of time. But yeah. I really think it's learning about the Winklevi at the end of the day, because yeah.
3: Yeah. really that the story
1: only, kind of says it all.
3: <laughs> the only billionaire twins, I think, on a uh, Forbes 400. Yes, yeah. that's, that's, that's for sure. All that's a set of sure. twins. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: So before yeah. we wrap, I always end the show asking this question, which many may ask, but I love hearing people's response anyway. So you are granted a giant billboard, probably a digital one for you. You could leave a message for the world to see. Mark Schaefer, what would it be and why?
0: There's one message that I, that I try to end many conversations and certainly every one of my speeches with. And it's this idea to be more human. That's really the key to business today. My Marketing Rebellion book, the subtitle, was The Most Human Company Wins." I believe that with every fiber in my body, the most human podcast wins, the most human insurance company wins, the most human bank wins. And I think we have to look at everything we do, every text message, every email, every phone call, every meeting, every presentation, every customer complaint, and think about how do we approach this in a way that's more human. And not only, I think. Do I think that this would really make a dramatic change on business? I think that would make a dramatic change on the world. And so that's always on my heart. And my billboard would probably say something like that. Be more human.
1: (laughs) I love it. I love it. And that's something we, we sorely need. So the book is called Cumulative Advantage by Mark Schaefer. It is really a must read, not just for marketers, but for humans and anyone that ever had an idea. We will link, of course, to the book and all of Mark's work, his brilliant podcast, his top 10 blog, and you don't wanna miss his watercolors on Instagram. We haven't even gone there. They are spectacular. That's a whole other show, Mark. I'd love to hear love to hear more about that. Thank you though for taking time today and, and a shout out to my older brother who lucked out and got the hair gene in our family, <laughs> apparent for anyone that does see video here. I only got the bigger shoe size. What can I tell you? Thank you to Resonate Recording for my post-production work. And as we say at the end of the show every week, when it comes to saving for your financial future, pay yourself first. Have a great week.